0: Steve don't apologize you're doing just fine we appreciate it very much and we thank you for leading us and leading us to worship God so thank you Steve and uh I know these that's that's a new thing I'm still getting used to this this is like you've been driving automatic forever and then you have to go back to stick shift and you know you have to you have to operate two things and um I guess this week, and I'll tell you more about this, Karen and I are supposed to go to a mission retreat in uh, Germany, and we got a rental car, and of course everything's a stick shift, and I'm just, I'm just thanking God because when we did a stick shift in Scotland, not only do you have to now do everything, they make you reverse it, and it's, oh, and I didn't see any dancing there. You weren't dancing. It's like at the Christian schools when they're all grooving and everything during their little shows. It's called choreography. <laughs> you, put enough, you put enough syllables in a word and you can get away with it. So just always remember that. Well, we are going to wrap up today this series that um, I hope has meant a lot to you and it's meant a lot to me. And uh, it's taken from Luke. And Luke is definitely right here at the end of his gospel trying to show us those things that are crucial for our faith. Um, the reason why he wants us to know things that are crucial for our faith is because it matters, and it matters when when things come along. Um, at the beginning of the gospel, Luke said many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us, and they use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully invested investigated everything from the beginning. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. I want you to always be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. I want each and every one of you, no matter how old you are, how many years you've been a disciple, whether that's something that might start today even, I want you to always be certain of the things that you've been taught. And not just the things taught by me but the things taught by others, and most importantly, the things taught in God's Word. Because there are times when we will have to decide whether or not we really believe those things and if our actions are going to match what we claim we believe. And that's when I think belief moves from just an agreement to certain facts into what is probably a better translation trust. Will we trust God? You know, last week we started out, we had a prayer here and um, for our uh, brother Hong in Southeast Asia. And if you've seen the reports, we were really worried. We were really worried that he was going to be intimidated by officials. But the good news is they finally just said, it's nothing. They have this little phrase, uh, it's nothing. It's over with. And so God responded to prayers, but he didn't just do what we wanted. He did what he needed to do. But here's the real victory in that. Our brother, who was looking very, he was looking at the real possibility of being jailed because he's a believer. He was willing to go that far. He didn't shrink back. And now, just today, uh, we posted some stuff that um, I want to tell you about our uh, sister, Gina Belote. And one of the reasons that we're going on this trip over to to Europe for this this, uh, retreat with all these missionaries that are there, uh, thankfully, God has made it possible to get Gina over there to join us and maybe get some encouragement. And let me tell you, right now, she needs it. And our brothers and sisters in Bulgaria, they need it. Now, Bulgaria is technically a free and democratic republic, uh, but they are getting, they, they, are, they have right now, and I, I won't go into all the details on it, I'm not an expert in any of this, but they have laws going through their government right now that might restrict religious freedom and make it very difficult for groups other than the large state-sponsored groups to continue to assemble. And worship God how discouraging would that be to you if we were told that we couldn't do that might stir up a little bit of rebel passion in us you know we might say hey no one's gonna tell us not to assemble but then again you and I haven't suffered under decades of communism like many of them have and it could even could even challenge the whole reason that Gina's there after she's worked so hard to be there, but she's prepared to continue to do what she was sent there to do, and she's asked us to pray about it. The key date is November sixteenth this Thursday there's a chance for the law to be changed uh, they were they were protesting today, and uh, protests in Bulgaria are extremely peaceful um, i mean they they they, they don't they don't have a lot of other options other than to let it be known that they're uh, opposed to these things. So let's pray about it and, let's, uh, and, and you know maybe a week from now God will, God will answer our prayers in a way that we hope he will answer our prayers. But the real question is, are we going to trust that God will work all things out through all things and in all things? And so uh, we we really need to give those folks some encouragement. Pray with me. Father, we pray for the leaders in Bulgaria. We pray that you would reach into their hearts. We pray that you would stir them to help them to realize that uh, restricting those who genuinely want to worship you is of no good to them or to their nation. But, Father, we, mo- we also pray for those who do trust in you and those who do love you. And we pray that you would encourage them and that you would keep them from being discouraged. Father, your people have been threatened over the history of this world so many times. And I pray that, that you would keep your people just as faithful. And, Father, help us to feel it. And rather than see this as a world away, help us to understand that this is what it means to be light in darkness. And Father, I pray that we will trust in you in all things. We pray especially for Gina. We pray that you'd bless her, bless the church family that she works with. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read this story out of Luke 24 because I think it applies. Uh, starting in verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened, which, by the way, means Jesus was crucified unjustly. He was buried. And now... There's talk of him being risen from the dead. But these two travelers aren't sure about that. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped suddenly. Sadness was written across their faces And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened there the last few days. Jesus asked, What things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. They crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened just three days ago. Then some women from our group, some of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing, hard-to-believe report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive and some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough his body was gone. His body was gone just as the women had said. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to Suffer all these things before entering into his glory. And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and the writings of all the prophets. And he began to explain scripture to them and explain the things concerning himself in scripture. And by the time they were nearing Emmaus, at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on. But they begged him, Stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them and as they sat down to eat, He took the bread and he blessed it and then he broke it and he gave it to them and suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire within us as he talked to us on the road and he explained scripture to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem where they had found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen, he he appeared to Peter. Now, there's a lot going on in this story, and it's one of my favorite stories of of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. When the story starts, these two travelers are on the path or the road of failure. Everything is failure. Cleopas and his friend—it could be his, it could be his wife, it could be another disciple. Whoever it is, two disciples, Cleopas and this other one. They're just—I mean, when Jesus asks them what's going on, they just stop. They don't even have the energy to keep walking, and and Luke describes it. Their faces are just written over with sadness. It must have been a pitiful sight seeing these two. And I mean, don't, don't, don't put them down too easily, but at the same time, to have all that description, they must have been a really difficult piece of work. I mean, I imagine that it's like, have you ever, have you ever uh, like, somebody that you know, a friend, or maybe even uh, somebody that you don't know, and suddenly you can just tell, that sadness and disappointment and negativity is just oozing off of them. And it's so bad that you want to go the other direction. It's like, oh, here they go. Oh, okay. I've got to go to the bathroom. Sorry. I'll see you later. You, you, you avoid them. It's that bad. I think that's the way these two are. But instead, Jesus draws close. He draws near. He gets close to them. What are you talking about? What is this? And their reaction is not, oh, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, okay, yeah, do you want to journey with us? People journeyed together in groups in those days because you had protection. Their first response is they're a little upset that their pain and their negativity and their sadness is not being affirmed. Don't you know what's wrong? I mean, they're giving him the treatment that sometimes we do when we're so hurt and we want everybody to recognize it. What's wrong? Are you okay? Well, if you can't tell, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) It's kind of what they're doing to him. Don't you know? I mean, are you the only person who hasn't heard what's happened? Well, I mean, the truth is, he's the one that it's all about. (laughs) But they don't get it. They are so much into their sorrow that they don't get it. I know, it says they were kept from recognizing him. There's no explanation as to what that passive phrase means. Were they kept from recognizing him because of the miraculous power of God? Maybe. Were they kept from recognizing him because Jesus looks different in his risen form? Maybe. Or were they kept from recognizing him because their negativity and their sadness had clouded their faith? Maybe. Just think about it. The saddest three words that they speak, and I think the saddest three words in scripture, are we had hoped. Not, not only does it say that, you know, we're, we're, it, doesn't, it doesn't even speak of the present. Uh, I'm not very hopeful. I don't have a lot of high expectations about the situation, you know. future looks a little doubtful. This statement says that right now is not very hopeful but we once had hope and we lost it. Now that is sad. That's failure. That's that's depression. That's that's disappointment. We had hoped. You know, he he was powerful. He 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 performed miracles. He He did things just like the prophets. We thought he was going to be the one to save Israel. We had hoped he was going to be our rescuer, but not now. They crucified him. That's what it's like to be on the road of failure. That's what it's like to be on the road of defeat. They're lonely. They feel like no one understands them. But here comes this traveler who starts to ask them questions. Now, what Jesus does, the unrecognized Jesus, is he calls them back into the Word. Now, you know, Jesus always does things that surprises us. Um, a few weeks ago when Eric Trigestad was here, he said, uh, here's Jesus talking to this woman who's an outsider, and she comes up and she says, you know, uh, please, can I have this healing? He goes, well, it's not right to... Uh, give the dogs crumbs when the kids haven't been fed yet. Wow, that's not very sensitive, Jesus. Why are you saying stuff like that? Uh, Jesus doesn't understand where some of his best leaders are at, I guess, because he says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, right here you've got these two um, sad folk walking along the street, and they're all upset, and they're, they're failing, and they, uh, they mention that to Jesus, and what's the first thing he says? Dummies. It was more or less what he said. You foolish people. Quit being so silly. That's not in the counseling handbook. You won't find that in Pastoral Counseling 101. Uh, but you know, Jesus did it, and I might start doing that too. But the um, you know, it's just, it's just, hey, he goes, Well, what's wrong with you? Don't you get it? Why are you so slow to understand what Scripture says? Don't you see that this suffering had to happen before the glory this was all necessary he's telling them that they are sad and they are disappointed because their expectations set them up they weren't trusting in god they expected that everything had to go the way they thought it did in other words they get points for believing that jesus was the messiah but they do not get any points Because they think the Messiah has to fit into their expectations. The unrecognized Jesus is saying to them, Listen, you're right to know that he was the Messiah. But don't you remember what has always been said about the Messiah? That he suffers before the glory. He's giving them the right kind of correction that they need. And then, notice how they go from being sad and alone to hospitality. Hey, it's late. Come stay with us. It's late. Nobody needs to be traveling at night. It's late. You're going to get robbed. It's going to be dangerous out there. It's going to be cold. Come stay with us, traveler. I mean, they're they're willing to bring other people in at a time when you would say they could be so paranoid and justified in their paranoia because how do they know that this isn't someone sent out to root out all of Jesus' disciples and find them since Jesus has now been branded a criminal in Jerusalem. They're only seven miles out from Jerusalem. Hey, But instead, they're willing to risk it and say, come stay with us. And staying with them means that they get a roof over their heads and they get protection and they get to eat and it's in the breaking of that bread that they recognize him. Ron explained it so well during the communion this morning that you see The the parallel between chapter 22, the same verbs. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. This is the first Sunday communion that we hear about in Scripture. And Jesus is right there taking part in it. He's serving the bread again like he said you know, he said he would be with them always to the end of the earth. He's with them. And look what's changed in them. Their hearts are burning. You know, it's not from the meal. It's from the encouragement. They've got spiritual heartburn, not the kind that you remedy with uh, uh, Tums or whatever. They, they've got, they're, they're, it, it means their hearts are on fire. It's, it's a, it's a, phrase it's a metaphor that means. what does that mean their hearts were on fire it means they've got courage it means that they've got courage again they're ready all the things that called them into service to follow Jesus the risks that they took the dangers that they faced they're done with that we had hoped business now now they're willing to say wait a second if death can't stop him then what's stopping any of us? And now remember, what do they do next? They get back on the road, right? And you're thinking, well, yeah, sure, that's the way the story goes. Hold on. It's seven miles walking. That's a pretty good walk. It's late. It's dangerous. And within the hour, they're back on the road, Luke says. The same road, but this time the road is now the road of hope. They're rushing out to tell the others. You know, you'd think, you know, if they were just reasonable, if this was just, yeah, well, you know, this isn't anything we can take care of tonight, so how about say we uh, rest up, have a good meal, check in somewhere for breakfast, and we'll get back to Jerusalem and tell the others about it. guess everything's going to be okay. All right. Yeah. no. They have to go right then. They can't stand it. They've got to get the group back together. The reason they've left Jerusalem and are heading to Emmaus is because they gave up. We had hope. They're going back to their home. They're going out of Jerusalem where Jesus had taken them because in their minds it was over. But now they're going back. The stories are true. He really is out there. We've got to go tell others. And when they get there, as the story continues, they're all gathered together, and Jesus appears again, and he gives them peace. They have peace now that they did not have before because of the presence of Christ. They they had not failed to do what what was needed. And what I mean by this is, when they see the risen Jesus and they're back on that road of hope. When it was the road of failure, when it was the road of despair, they could look at everything that went wrong. They could look at everything that didn't happen the way they thought it should have. And they could see everything that they invested in and everything they've done as failure. Maybe we didn't stand up for him at the right time. Maybe we should have surrounded him. Maybe we should have got him out of Jerusalem. Maybe we should have uh, not listened to him when he said, take up, you know, don't take up swords. Maybe, maybe we could have done more. That's all they could focus on. We had hoped. But I guess it doesn't work now. But now they know, wait a second. It isn't about our failure. It's about what God is able to do if we trust in him. And God's not keeping this from them. He's there now giving them peace. Why do they need peace? Because they're troubled. They don't know what this means. They don't know if he's going to come back and call them failures. But he says, no, peace be with you. Now, how is it that that same road that they were going, Jerusalem to Emmaus, now becomes the road of hope, Emmaus to Jerusalem? It's the same road, same gravel, same Bushes planted by the same of the road, side of the road, same people, same same directions. What's different? What changes it? One thing. The presence of Jesus Christ. The presence of Jesus Christ is what transforms failure to hope. For us, the Emmaus lesson is this. Are we going to focus on execution or are we going to focus on mission? Now I'm doing a word play with execution. You see, on the road to Emmaus, when they are on the road of failure, they are focused on execution. They are focused on Jesus' execution, the crucifixion. Notice how they tell the unrecognized Jesus all of this, and they say, and they crucified him. That doesn't just mean they could have just said, and they killed him. No, they crucified him. They, they killed him, they tortured him, they shamed him. They took away any hope of there being any kind of continuing movement after this. They crucified him. They're focused on the execution and on the shame of that execution and on the pain of that execution and on the failure that that execution represents. They're focused on pain and shame and failure. And when Jesus meets them on the way and begins opening Scripture, they begin focusing on mission and hope and God's work and God's presence and their hearts catch on fire because they have courage again. For you and I we can focus on our own execution. None of us witnessed firsthand the crucifixion of Jesus. It it is understandably difficult for us to own the despair and failure of that moment. But what we do own is we own our own sense of failure. And we get worried about it. and We get obsessed about it. And we start walking down the road of despair. Well, if only we had more members. If only people would give more. If only people would devote themselves as much to church as they do to deer hunting. If only people would do more for, you know, if only, if only others, if only the preacher could really improve his sermons. If only the preacher could, you know, would would stop talking so long. You know, if only, if only, if only. And I guess nobody likes us. And I don't know. The other churches, they got new, you know, buildings. And everybody wants to go there. And focus, focus, focus on getting everything right. Or we get ourselves all worried and we get ourselves all afraid. Oh, I'm not qualified to do this. I've made too many mistakes. I don't think I can get it right. Somebody tells you, you know what, you've got a story to tell. You've got a story about how God's worked in you. Oh no, I can't talk about that because I don't know. I'm not so sure about it. People won't appreciate it. They won't like it if I if I do that. We get so obsessed with our own successes or our own failures that we end up walking the road of despair. And we are throwing off such negativity and we are throwing off such worry. Why on earth would anybody want to approach us and talk to us about Jesus? Do you want to talk about Jesus? Why? I don't know because you go to hell if I don't. And I don't know. I'm really upset about it all. You sure you don't want to talk about it? I mean, well, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? I really don't know. I hope so. Oh, God, I hope so. But I don't know. But you better come with me and join me in doubt. That's not evangelism. That's not a heart on fire. No wonder. But if we keep walking, and here's the thing, we can get so trapped in that road that it becomes a rut. And we can just keep trying to pump more and more of our own energy and our own power and our own abilities into doing the same things over and over again. And maybe what we need to do is humble ourselves and come together in the presence of Jesus... And he'll say, you silly people, you foolish people, don't you get it? Even in failure, God works his power. Even in things going wrong, God can still redeem it. He can change change any kind of garbage and trash into treasure. He can do it. And right now we're carrying around sins, we're carrying around burdens and doubt, and we think, you know, I just wish somebody would fix this. Hello, the risen Jesus is ready and willing to invite us in and give us his peace. When you and I have the kind of peace that we trust that God's got this, That God really is taking, we're going to start walking the road of hope, even if it's a treacherous road. Even if it's a road at night, when we're tired, we're going to have the peace of knowing that we're walking on a road of hope. There might be challenging times ahead for us, the way that they're facing it right now in Bulgaria. I mean, you and I can't imagine that, but it could happen. Because this isn't an absolute law banning all Christianity it's, it's a difficult, troubling little law that makes it hard to be a believer. Now, you and I are going to instantly think, oh well, if they do that to us, you know what? We're going to fight them and we're going to fix it and we're going to make it right. Okay, but what if you can't? That's the moment when you and I have to decide, okay, we can say that we believe all this in a minute, but do we really trust him? Do we really trust the risen Jesus? And we need to go back to his presence. We need to come around his table again and get empowered and listen to him once again through his word. Remind us that suffering precedes glory. That in the kingdom, suffering is never the last chapter. That in the kingdom, persecution is never the last chapter. That in the kingdom of God, difficulties are never the last chapter. We're always going to have a resurrection. And we're always going to have this mission. When you and I are focused on mission, we find a way around the obstacles. Not because we're looking for it, but because he empowers it. We just keep going. You know, um, one of the stories I want to tell you about is last week, uh, after our Sunday worship, and after our youth event, and, that, and she's given me permission to tell this story. One of the young ladies in the youth group, it's, her name's Emma, Emma uh, Okesson, and she's, a, uh, she's from Sweden. Uh, she lives with Rick and Christy O'Dell when she's over here. She recently came back to visit. Many of you have been sharing your faith with her, and you've been encouraging her if you've met her. Well, Sunday night, she finally decided, you know what? I need to be baptized she was now here's the thing we're going to give her all the encouragement she can stand we are but back home she doesn't get that that's why we were kind of quiet about it because she wants to be able to tell her family and tell her people she's going back to Sweden now that that's the most non-threatening country that I can imagine right because I mean you know there's not a lot of unrest over I mean they got Ikea and so you know they're there but You know, it's a good place. It's a good place. It's a decent place. But here's the thing. Intellectually and socially, it's not easy to be a Christ follower. And very quickly, all of that despair and sadness could settle in on her. And I guess I say this because for you and I, we got a lot of cultural support that supports us. But we can't trust in that. We don't dare trust in that. We've got to trust in God so that even if all of that goes away, we're still trusting in him. And we stay on mission. And we need to look to people like uh, our, our, our brothers and sisters around the world and see how they do it. And it might not be exactly the same for us, but you know what it is? What is the same? It's the same Messiah. There's... None of us as Christians need to say we had hoped. that's That's not a phrase we should ever, we had hoped. We had hoped what? Well, we had hoped that Jesus would do something. He did do something. We had hoped that God would act. He did act. God has acted decisively and once and for all for salvation. Now, you and I just have to trust in that. The only thing we can say we had hoped about is one another. We had hoped that he would be a follower of Jesus Christ. We had hoped that she would have decided to trust in Jesus more than worry. We had hoped that the church would have been more bold. But we can never put our faith in human beings or in the society around us. We have to put our faith in the risen Christ. And by faith, I mean trust. Not just belief. Trust. So, Who needs to be baptized into Jesus today? Because by being baptized into Jesus, you are confessing and admitting that he is the risen Messiah. Just as he said, and that his suffering does not mean he was a failure, but it was all part of God's path to hope. It means that you're putting your final hope in him. Who needs to rededicate themselves to him today? Now, I mean right now, but just like Emma, it might mean that you decide that later today after you've talked to a few folks. Fine. But get off the road of despair and get on the road of hope because you're being invited by Jesus, the peace giver, the Prince of Peace, to join him on that path. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that your word encourages us and ignites our hearts on fire for your for your mission with your love and i pray that we will be so bold that it's not just an emotion that we work up within us but it is a spirit-fueled hope that reminds us that the worst things are never the last things but it also reminds us that we must trust in you and not in our own ability or the work of the church or the work of any minister or the work of any group. But Father, we have to place our hope fully in you. We cry out to you with this confession that we trust in you and we believe that you are the son of God, the king of kings and the prince of peace. Now, God, give us the courage to carry that out in the way that we live, in the way we speak, and the way that we act differently in a world so filled with negativity and despair and sadness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. If we can encourage you this morning, we want to do that.